Hey everybody, welcome back to Bikes and Big Ideas on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm David Golay, the bike editor at Blister, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Okay, so this week I'm joined by Troyden Murison of Crestline Bikes and Jimmy Davis of Cascade Components fame, who is working with Crestline on the suspension kinematics for their upcoming lineup. And there's some interesting stuff happening there, because as we get into, Crestline is launching very shortly with a high pivot VPP downhill bike with a super interesting looking e-bike following up later this year. And since there's not a lot of information about those bikes out there just yet, this is a super cool chat where we get a lot of information about the bikes and hear a lot of the very interesting backstory behind the company, including Troyden going from being a music industry recording engineer to founding a bike company, assembling a fairly star-studded cast and crew to help him along the way there, getting advice from some extremely big names, including Greg Minar and Nico Mullally, and a whole bunch more. And as always, I just want to give you guys a quick reminder that if you're enjoying listening to us chat about bikes and get nerdy on some of these details it's very much worth your time and money to sign up for a blister membership and send us an email next time you are considering buying a new bike or some new suspension or whatever it might be because we've got a whole lot of experience doing this stuff i think we can talk about it pretty well if i may say so myself and we've been helping a lot of blister members get set up with new bikes of late and seemingly it's possible to do that now the industry-related just COVID delays and unavailability of everything seems to be subsiding a fair bit because people are buying bikes, which is very exciting, and we've been doing a very good job of getting some Blister members dialed in with the right new bike for them. So sign up for membership, shoot us an email, and I will be very glad to help you out with that new bike purchase. And with that, let's get right to my conversation with Troyden and Jimmy. Well, Troyden, Jimmy, great to have you both here. Jimmy, welcome back to Bikes and Big Ideas. Troyden, good to have you here for the first time. Looking forward to chatting a bit about what you've got going on with Crestline Bikes, because there's some pretty interesting looking stuff in the pipeline there. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me, David. Um, and it's good to have Jimmy Jimmy here with us, because he's a, he's a big part of it. Yeah, we'll certainly kind of dive in there. But uh, just to kick it off... How are you two doing, and where are you both right now? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm uh, sitting in my car out in front of uh, of our our building because it's really really loud in there. Um, up in Everett as usual. Uh, yeah, a lot of machines going and a lot of dogs making a lot of noise today. So, well, yeah, appreciate the efforts for audio fidelity here. So kind of continuing the story tradition of people recording bikes and big idea episodes in vehicles we were joking about before we got on here but uh yeah much appreciated there not as exciting for me i'm just uh, sitting in a in a little room downstairs at home uh so it should be nice and quiet right next to galby no no big deal <laughs> no uh no dogs or kids or machines or anything making noises so yeah, we should be all good. Right on. Well, as we kind of hinted at up top, you two have been working together on this Crestline Bikes project with a couple of models in the works. And so I guess just to kick it off, I'd love to have 
both of you talk a little bit about your respective bike backgrounds in bikes. And, um, you know, a lot of folks will be familiar with Jimmy's Cascade Components project, but uh, just a little rundown from each of you would be awesome to kind of hear where your history in bikes got started and what you've been up to that kind of led us to getting this project kicked off. Cool. I guess I'll, I'll start. Mine's probably pretty short, but um, I actually only started riding bikes um, at the age of 36. Uh, and that was um, after moving around the world a little bit. I grew up in South Africa and then spent um, a short amount of time in the UK, uh, went back to South Africa and then moved to uh, Boston, Massachusetts. I was there for a year. And then did about six years in New York. And then after that, um, ended up in LA. And a couple of years into being there, uh, got into the bike thing. Um, I've been in the music industry for a long time. So that's kind of why I was where I was, um, you know, with those other cities I mentioned prior to that. Um, I have a lot of South African friends that moved to the UK. Um, and a bunch of them, when I told them I was in in Los Angeles, were like, "You need to get a mountain bike and get out and 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 take advantage of where you live." And I was just like, you know, like I'm not going to go spend like you know like thousands of dollars on a bike, and I don't have anyone to go ride with. I've never done this before. Like, so <clears throat> it took me a while to actually take that step and I was at one a bike store because a friend was visiting me and he wanted to go in there and see some of the bikes that we have in the US that they don't have in the UK and while I was in the store um, I'm trying to remember the name of the store but it was in um, I think it was in Abbot Kinney and um, yeah like while I was in the store a couple other guys showed up uh, actually a guy who I'm still friends with today a Kiwi named Jason was dropping a bike off and I started chatting to some guys and everyone just seemed super nice and, and very inclusive. And a bunch of them were like, you know, if you get a bike, just you can come ride with us, you know? So that solved that problem. And yeah, I, uh, my first bike was an intense, um, 951 <laughs> and I basically got thrown in the deep end and just started shuttling downhill trails, like from the get go. Right, straight in with a proper DH bike. And about when were we talking with this? Like, what year so, would this have been? So this was um, just over nine years ago, um, and it was. I remember it was like in like a December because a friend of mine was kind of visiting for Christmas, you know. Um, so yeah, and I just fell in love with it and just been pretty obsessed with bikes since then. So yeah, kind of wish I started a bit earlier, but you know better late than never absolutely i mean there's there's obviously more from there but like basically just got really into it ended up getting into racing um started dabbling in the enduro stuff for a while figured out that i'm pretty lazy and uh wasn't really into all the pedaling <laughs> so um when e-bikes started showing up uh you know jumped into those things like pretty early adopter of those and uh yeah just just been out on the trails, riding bikes, figuring it out since then, doing a bunch of races and yeah, having a great time. Right on. And then, yeah, Jimmy, I mean, I'm sure lots of folks listening know Cascade Components, but wanted to say a little bit about that. Yeah, I guess. So my, my background with biking started, uh, 
18 years ago is about when I started mountain biking. Um, so I've, I've been on a, on a mountain bike for a bit. Um, and just, I mean, I, like, you know, I'm a mechanical engineer. I've always, you know, even, even prior to, to going to school for that, had an interest in just, you know, the design side of mountain bikes. Um, so yeah, I just, uh, kind of started designing and making parts for, for my own bike, just for the fun of it. And, uh, it eventually spun off into cascade components with the, the nomad link. Um, I had made that while I had some, some downtime waiting on, um, a replacement rear triangle. And, uh, yeah, there was some, uh, like I talked to some local shops and, and, uh, you know, there are people who are like, oh yeah, like I'd be pretty keen to, to try that. You know, if you, if you were to like, you know, make, make more of them. So we, we were like, oh, we'll just, you know, run 50 links and see how they do. And, you know, we, we sold the, the 50 links pretty easily. So then we, we, you know, kind of did more of those, added some more Santa Cruz links and, you know, kind of grew it to, to what it is now. Um, yeah. I mean, we've got a whole lot more on cascade components in the episode we did a little while back. We'll put that link in the show notes so people can check that episode out too. So I guess then Troyden, I'd love to hear kind of how you have this introduction to mountain biking less than 10 years ago, pretty quickly fall in love with it. How do you get from there to deciding that it's time to start a bike company? Yeah. Um, so I guess I should have also mentioned I, ha- I have like a pretty technical background. So even though I, I worked as a recording engineer and um, and producer in the record industry for um, a long time, I I did um, I did like a technical matric in South Africa, which uh, which I did a bunch of fitting and turning, and then I did. Um, a year of industrial design and then I did some drafting stuff um, like structural steelwork and whatnot. So I, I have like that kind of a brain as well. Um, so I, I, I've always just been fascinated with the way these bikes work. And um, I grew up around a grandfather who was really into motorcycles and used to restore like uh, old sort of uh, British bikes like BSAs and uh, Royal Enfields and <clears throat> things like that. So I've kind of been around that stuff uh, you know, a large portion of my life. And I think when, when, um, when e-bikes came out, you know, my, my, my business partner, who's also been riding bikes for a while. Um, and I, we, we just felt like there wasn't really anything we, we were kind of like super excited to ride. And so, you know, we chatted about it and we, we like, we were like, you know, this is, it would be a huge undertaking. And so it was something that we kind of just spoke about here and there, um, for quite a while, but never really like pulled the trigger or just decided to do anything with it. So, um, and ultimately I feel like when we did decide to go for it, it was like a pretty, uh, crazy time because it was, uh, you know, unfortunate that COVID kind of started and uh, things, you know, I think if we had started like two years before and had some bikes ready to go, it would have been great for us. <laughs> but we basically started um, as things started getting bananas. So, but once we started, you know, we were, we were also like, cool, well, this, you know, the trains left the station and, you know, we, we're going to make this happen. And so we, we pushed through. Um, and it's just been so fascinating to learn about everything and work with people like Jimmy and 
um, work with other people in the industry that do the 3D surfacing and uh, also with partners that we've used, you know, from Bosch to, um, you know, suspension companies who send you, you know, the 3D stuff of their um, parts and things. So it's just so it's just been super fascinating. And um, I think what we ended up, the way we ended up looking at it and why we still wanted to pursue it was um, we still felt there were, like, there were like little things missing, even though by the time we started, there, there were obviously a lot more bikes that were a lot closer to what we were looking for. Um, but we still felt like we could find little things here and there that we could uh, uh, sort of improve on for our personal preference as riders that want something very specific out of our bikes, you know, and, and that's kind of why we, we decided to, to go for it. Yeah, that's a super common kind of line of thinking that we've heard from a lot of folks on here who've started smaller bike companies is just that they had some idea for something specific that they wanted that didn't quite exist in the market and decided to take the leap and go for making it. Yeah, and I think it's 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 more like um it's more like a number of small things that equal a bigger thing as opposed to just like one specific idea, you know, and and I think we also tried not to get too clever where we, we've never done this before, so, um, you know, we we chose pretty strategically who we partnered with and, and made sure that we used people that really knew what they were doing. And, and you know, obviously that's, um, you know, we have Jimmy sitting in his car, you know, who's going to chat to us too because, like, like he knows what he's doing with the, the platform that we wanted to use. And um, I think it's something that you can get wrong fairly easily. So, um uh, you know, for us, making sure that we, you know, didn't do something like that was pretty important. And then also where we manufacture, um, we've chosen a factory that makes, you know, I could list off all the, the bike brands that, that they make that everybody would know. Uh, so, you know, that sort of takes another variable out of it. And, um, and then we get to focus on those little things that I mentioned, you know. Totally. And so I'd just be curious to hear you kind of talk a bit about how you went about just finding partners to work on this whole project with you. You know, you mentioned suspension companies and Bosch for the motors and so on and so forth. But, and then also alluded to some folks helping with design work, like the 3D surfacing, and then obviously Jimmy with suspension layout and stuff. So when you, once you decided to go for this, how did you then start trying to find the right folks to come in and contribute their little bits and pieces to the final form so um i was fortunate enough to have met um, a gentleman named larry pizzi who i believe he was the head of axel group at the time which um they did like a bunch of different brands um, i think it was like uh i want to say like diamondback and a couple others that fell sort of under the same roof and so you know, I started talking to him about it and he was super uh, helpful and, you know, was more than happy to just put me in touch with a, b a bunch of different people, you know. And so I kind of started there and then reached out to people and just try to get a feel for who uh, would be willing to kind of work with us as a new brand in this crazy time, you know, where they were battling to uh, actually just fulfill orders with their existing customers and and then um funnily enough i actually spoke to greg um uh, minar who i met at a us open race in big bear and 
I guess, um, you know, he's South African, I'm South African. We ended up on a chairlift together. And so we met there and then this came up after the fact. And so I reached out to him and just kind of, you know, asked him a few questions. And he mentioned uh, Cesar Roja from Uno Bikes and Sarah Designs. And so I think we owe a lot to them for actually getting us to take the first leap because they offer like a bunch of services, right? And so you can kind of go there and, and feel like um, you have someone who could basically help you do what you need to do to get to the point where you can have a frame made. And so he kind of, that, that kind of gave us the confidence to get going. Um, and then from there, you know, one thing led to the other and, you know, you, you just keep reaching out to different people. And, and so over time we've, uh, we've kind of just like decided who we wanted to get to focus on certain things. Um, so yeah. And then it was just a bunch of outreach and, and just like, you know, I mean, I'm still, I'm still doing it and I'm still trying to get certain accounts set up and, uh, everyone's been super nice and, and accommodating and, and doing the best they can in, in the time that we're in. And so, yeah, definitely some, some challenges that we still face, but I think we've got, we've gotten into pretty good shape, you know, fairly quickly. So, um, we're pretty excited about it. Yeah. Seems like things are coming together. And then Jimmy, from your side of things, when did you get involved and how did that come about? So, uh, Troyton reached out to, to, uh, Cascade about, uh, doing kinematics work for the, the e-bike. Um, there were some, just like some little bits that they, uh, they kind of were hoping to solve. Um, and you know, we've, we've done a lot of kinematics work for VPP stuff. Um, you know, since Santa Cruz was what we started out with. So, uh, so yeah, we, that's where we got on board was, uh, you know, solving these like last little bits with the e-bike. Um, and then, yeah, it's just kind of gone from there. Sure. So I guess while we're on the subject, we've been dancing around the actual bikes a little bit here. So tell us about what you're working on and what you're planning to launch. So it's kind of weird the way it worked out, but we had always wanted to make a downhill bike. Um, and it's just so happened that that will be the first bike that comes out from us. Uh and that's kind of where, where we come from. So just like I said, like the first bike I ever got was a downhill bike and that's how I got into the sport. And so, you know, that, that was what really hooked me. And my business partner was, is also like, um, uh, very much into that side of the sport and, uh, has done a bunch of racing as well, had a pro card for a while as well. And, um, so pretty competent on a, on a bike and the way the downhill bike came about, is pretty interesting because so I'm, I'm fairly good friends with uh, Jeff Kaylee from Worldwide Sakuri and Liam and a bunch of the guys there because I was in California for so long and actually like uh, kind of like rode for their shop so in, so to speak you know even though just going and doing like sort of vet, vet um, races and stuff like that and they've always been super supportive and whatnot um, and I was chatting to to Jeff about what we were, what we were trying to do with the e-bikes and he actually mentioned to me what Nico was doing with uh, his little project and the, the bikes he's making for the World Cup stuff and um, 
basically, I, th- I, I believe Nico and Jeff maybe lived together at one point. I know they're pretty good friends. And so Jeff said to me, why don't you reach out to Nico and um, see if you can get vo- involved in, in his project somehow. And, you know, maybe that can kind of spearhead what you're trying to do with starting your thing. And so I reached out to Nico and I think the timing was just a little bit off where I was just a little bit late and he had already um, kind of gotten too far down the road with what he was doing and um, working with Frank the Welder. And, he, you know, he had already kind of made some good headway on what, what his plans were. And But we, we chatted about bikes and um, and what he was doing and, and the downhill bikes and kind of that just got uh, got us thinking. And then at the same time, I was obviously working with Jimmy on, on um, the e-bike stuff and uh, Nico had reached out to Jimmy as well to, to to see if Jimmy could help him with some of the links for his bike. And so that got me and Jimmy talking. Um, and uh, Nico had shared, like, he's very open with his, his bike and what he's doing. And he had shared, like, all that information with with, uh, with, with both of us. And, and so Jimmy had all that info as well. And, um, and then we were like, you know, well, well, I wonder what it would be like if we if we made a bike with a sort of a mid-high pivot, um, but on a, a VPP platform. And, and yeah, I, I guess that, that was um, something that just seemed really interesting to both of us, you know, because there isn't something like that out there right now. I'm sure they will come, but um, we haven't seen one as yet. So, you know, like Jimmy started, you know, doing what Jimmy does and started figuring out kinematics and, and seeing what he could uh, get to work with uh, with this kind of a platform, and and then obviously we we took into account a lot of the information that uh, Nico had shared with us, but we did also go back to him and and I had a conversation with him and just made sure that uh, he wouldn't be upset with us if we used any of it, and he was just super cool and like you know very much like go for it you know it'll it'll be amazing for you guys to get something like this out there and um yeah and that that's basically how that started and then you know the i think the little things that i had learned doing the the, the e-bike um and with the factory that we used and all those kinds of things played into us being able to do this downhill bike and i mean it might be quite surprising to a lot of folks but we started the downhill bike in December last year. So it hasn't been like a, a super long time, but I, I think it was just maybe thinking a little bit outside the box. And then um, I was fortunate enough to meet um, a pretty senior guy at the factory VIP that we're using. And he was assigned to us in the beginning because uh, he's was extremely knowledgeable and had set up like, for uh, assembly lines for some of the big bigger players, um, so he know, knows the process from start to finish of of uh, you know fabricating these frames uh, or manufacturing these frames, and so he had all these little insights and like how we could do things and how we could do them quicker and and was super helpful to us as a new brand because we obviously this was very foreign and new t- to me and I was learning a bunch of stuff as I kind of went along. Um, but during the process, at some point, he he kind of told me he was retiring, and I and I I sort of kind of panicked a little bit because it was pretty challenging, you know, 
just to begin with. And then to have someone who was so good and had really uh, been instrumental in making us feel comfortable and confident that we could do this, say that he's retiring. And so anyway, long story short, I managed to pick him up as a consultant uh, after he retired. And so he's been super helpful with uh, giving us ideas of how to do these things, how to do them quickly. Uh, uh, the, the Daniel bike is like a very, very much a passion project. And uh, it's very much a collaboration between Cascade and Crestline. And we just, you know, like without Jimmy, it wouldn't be possible. Um, he's putting in a lot of time, money, effort. Uh, we know that downhill bikes are not the most, uh, uh, what's the right way of putting this? Like, I guess just like commercially viable uh, uh, bikes to make on the planet. But it, it it is the essence of who we are and so you know we're making it happen and um we're hoping that that there there are those kind of people out there that are into the sport the same way we are that will be able to support us in in um, in this little project because i think i think it's pretty it's pretty cool so yeah it's certainly the case that downhill bikes are not the highest volume stuff these days yeah. but they sure are fun and i'm glad they're more of them popping up still so but that turnaround time having started in december seems pretty wild and as you were starting to build up to that i was thinking wait so if you were talking to nico as he was getting along like this has to have been you know no earlier than middle of 2021 or something and yeah well you've moved pretty fast on that and you know i guess we've touched on some of the details but it's a carbon fiber vpp kind of mid-high pivot layout right tell us a bit more about the particulars of the bike and what you just hope to accomplish with the various decisions you made and kind of weighing it all out and how you arrived at where you did so i think one of the one of the big things we started with was was axle path um we we wanted it to be a mid-high pivot bike um we've ridden high pivot bikes and uh at least you know for me there's a certain point where the pivot gets high enough where your your balance point is changing uh kind of a a bit more than i would like as it goes through travel so kind of you know striking a balance between having you know some rearward axle path but not having too dramatic of a change in balance point so uh so we settled on an axle path where at bottom of travel and at top of travel the like horizontally relative to the bottom bracket, the wheels in the same position. Um, so between yeah, top and bottom, there's not really a change in rear center. Um, there's rearward axle path for about 50% of travel and then forward axle path. So, uh, it, it kind of, you know, as you're skimming over roots and stuff like that, uh, it gets you that, you know, kind of action that helps the wheel move, you know, out of divots a little bit easier. Um, as far as leverage ratio goes, we we wanted to have it be decently progressive, um, kind of in line with Nico's race bike, um, and have kind of as as uh, as constant of a uh, or uh, it gets weird because people call it linear for different things as linear of a leverage curve as possible. So it, we're kind of trying to make it you know a, a straight line between start and finish, um, as opposed to like leverage curves that have a uh, pretty big rate of change can can lead to a more unpredictable feeling. Um, 
so there was trying to iron out the leverage curve, um, make that as, as straight as possible. And then um, as far as anti-squat goes and pedal kickback, uh, picking an idler position um, was another big consideration. Uh, it's a downhill bike first and foremost, um, but it is actually designed with two different idler positions. Um, so the, the idler can be mounted lower down than kind of what would be considered its standard location. And that increases anti-squat a little bit in the downhill mode. Um, after the sag point, there is no chain growth. Um, so it's, it's pretty much geared towards you'll, you'll have, you know, some pedaling, but it's a downhill bike. Um, and then after the, the sag point that just, you know, disappears. So on like chunkier stuff where you're spending more time deep in travel, you're not getting pedal kickback. And then, you know, down the road and we, you know, we're going to play around with configuring it more as like a burly enduro bike. And for that, we'll use the second mounting point for the idler. That's cool. We've had a bunch of conversations with people recently who have doing something kind of along those lines where they have a big, I mean, it's a proper downhill bike that also sort of has the option to aim for a kind of extra burly enduro bike configuration on it. Like the dudes from Trinity who I spoke to a few weeks ago and a few others who have been doing something along those lines and makes a bunch of sense. It's a uh, particularly as kind of bike geometry has evolved a bit and the geometry of DH bikes and the biggest enduro bikes has converged to a point where it's not all that wildly different anymore. And yeah, there are certainly some things you'd want to do differently with suspension kinematics. If you have a bike that you're really intending to pedal or not, but as you touched on, there are some ways to, make the bike adaptable to do both. So that seems like a pretty cool way to go about it. And I guess just as far as the overall layout and whatnot, how did you wind up on going for a VPP bike as opposed to any of the other ways you could have potentially just laid the suspension out more generally? I guess I've, I've always liked um, VPP and um, it just, uh, it just made sense too, because that that's the same platform as we're using on the, on the e-bike so obviously as a brand we, we want that to be a cohesive um and yeah i i feel like uh doing this with jimmy he's got so much experience in that space that it, it made sense to do it on that platform as, as well you know plus i'm not sure um that anyone's done it on that platform so i guess that's another factor that just is by chance it wasn't necessarily like the specific reason why um but yeah i, I feel like that answers that question ppp is i mean i think it's a fantastic platform it, it can be a little finicky to, to get right because i mean as far as like you know link dimensions especially the lower link we're talking about like you know fractions of a millimeter and fractions of a, a degree and stuff like that can can make a world of difference so it, it can be a little trickier to get right, but when you get it right, it, it does work quite well. And I guess the nice thing about what Jimmy's just said is uh, small movements can give you decent amounts of change, right? So that means that, uh, and we can talk about this a bit more, but like on this bike, if you did want to repurpose it and run it as a trail bike, uh, it, it's it's not that difficult to to have a link that reduces the travel a fairly substantial amount and changes characteristics of that bike, you know, which is why we included things like removable dropouts um, so that we could, 
you know, change wheel size at the back, mess with chain stay length. Um, we left a one and a half inch straight steer tube so that we can uh, get some reach adjust. Uh, also like, you know, potentially do some angle angle set stuff if need be. Uh, so we, we just really like, you know, the bike's only going to come in one size and that's probably uh, part of why we could do it so quickly. Um, you know, I, I don't mind kind of just like jumping into that, you know, uh, as to what, how we got it done so quickly. But it's, it's basically because we, um, we're using a, a prototype mold, uh, to keep the costs down, which is a little bit softer material. It doesn't affect the, the final product. It just means that you can't make as many of them as you would in a, in a full mold. Um, obviously it doesn't cost as much to make that mold. And, you know, these bikes end up getting made in the R&D department. So you don't have to wait to get in line to have a production run. So that's why we could do it this quickly, you know, and have bikes. Like we should have bikes for sale by like mid-August. Um, we should have frames for sale. So, um, you know, less than a year from when we started. Uh, it, it keeps the costs down for the mold. The per, <laughs> per frame cost is a whole different. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's definitely not... Uh, yeah, like we said in the beginning, we're we're not uh, we're not um, trying to make a bunch of money off of this. You know, we want to we want to get the brand out there. We want to, um, born. You know, I think the people that get these bikes are going to have um, a bike that's pretty unique. Um, we're obviously not planning to make any more of them. Um, we can only make a, a limited number of these molds. So, yeah, unless it's like some crazy massive hit and the, the demand is just insane, like. Uh, I think having this bike will be something, something pretty special, you know? It's a good proof of concept, kind of. Yeah, that makes sense. And that's some cool insight into, one, the quick turnaround, and two, just being able to make a limited run carbon frame. You know, there's carbon molds are expensive. And so totally checks out that doing single size and doing it in, like you said, a prototype mold where... It'll make some frames, but you, it, do, it just doesn't have the same ability to hold up to making a, a ton of them that you would for a full production run. So it, it definitely helps. Uh, I'm not going to say it like makes it like <laughs> like super cheap or anything, but it definitely helps. I think if if the bike is like incredibly popular for some reason, um, I might be kicking myself and be like, "Why didn't you just do a proper mold?" Because um, you know, if you could just continue making them. I think that that would then end up paying for itself a lot quicker and uh, it would end up being a much more uh, fiscally sound decision. But, you know, we, we, we just wanted to do it and, and this was like the best way to, to get the ball rolling. Sure. I mean, yeah, we'll see how it goes. And the bike certainly looks cool. So anything you care to share about geometry? I think you mentioned adaptable rear wheel size. Any of the other little details like that? So I guess Jimmy mentioned the idler pulley, uh, being able to move that. Uh, was there anything you can think of, Jimmy, that I didn't uh, mention? Idler pulley dropouts, uh, quite a bit of tunability with the lower link adjustable headset. We got all that. Um, Threw some water bottle mounts on there. The uh, seat tube angle, actual seat tube angle, is surprisingly steep for a downhill bike. Uh, there's no internal routing for a, a, a dropper, uh, but kind of the idea is we'll be able to throw a, a wireless one on there and use it that way 
Yeah, I think that those are those are most of the, the key points. So there's the yeah, like I said, there's a water bottle mount if you did want to repurpose it. Honestly, like I I was testing the bike at Whistler and having a water bottle in the bike park was pretty fun too. <laughs> so uh just convenient and, and yeah, if you want like um there's a, another tool mount underneath the top tube so you can strap the tube to it so you don't have to walk down if you if you flat or anything like that as well. So not super common stuff you'll see on a downhill bike, but practical and, you know, like didn't seem like there was a reason not to have it. So um, I'm sure there'll be, I'm sure there'll be people out there with different opinions, but <laughs> so be it. The, the geometry thing. Um, another interesting thing with that actually is, so uh, it's one size, right? Um, me and Troyden are very, very different height wise. Um, I'm, I'm on the short end. Troyden's on, on the tall end. Uh, the first frame we got in, uh, he built up with his parts that were, you know, around. So it was, what was it? Plus 10 reach adjust. Um, like pretty, pretty long build and all. Um, and yeah, and I was riding that thing around, you know, being all of five foot eight and, uh, it was surprisingly comfortable actually. Um, for, for being as big of a, you know, build up as it was. So I, I think the actual like usable height or the height range for which the, the frame will be usable is, is surprisingly large. Yeah. Particularly if you've got the room for a reach adjust headset in there, you can make a pretty big swing in sizing with a full or 1.5 head tube and a straight one and an eighth steer and a dual crown fork. So you've got some, some room to move it. So if you do it with a one eight um, steer, like you're saying, uh, you can get plus or minus 10. So you, you the bike is uh, 480, you can get it down to 470 or up to 490. And then obviously there's increments in between, like I think works components makes some pretty nice headsets. I'm probably going to order um a small batch of those to have on the website as well so that people if they you know, get the frame and they're looking for a specific size straight away they can pop one of those in the cart yeah it seems like a great way to go about it and you mentioned that these should be ready to go as soon as next month if folks are interested and want to get in line for one how would they go about that so um yeah, we should have them starting to trickle in from like mid-August. Uh, what we'll do is we'll probably go live with the website around the 15th. And we'll have, I'll see how many have come in at that point. And, um, you know, I'll, those will obviously be for sale. And then, uh, you know, all, all the bikes will be numbered as well. So, you know, 1 to 50. So you'll get like a specifically numbered frame. And... Um, and yeah, like once once we so because they're being made in the R and D department, there it's not like we're just gonna get all fifty of them straight away. So as they sort of like you know finish eight to ten, they'll you know ship them off to us. So over the course of the the, the sort of rest of the year, we'll get you know you know some frames in each month. And um, yeah, we'll I think at some point we might even just add a a reserve option for people so that if somebody really wants one, they can. Just, you know, put a hundred bucks down or something and reserve a frame so they don't miss out on it, you know? Yeah. Seems like that's coming right along then. And then with that sort of upcoming, where are things at with the e-bike? We've seen some prototypes of the machined aluminum clamshell version of it. 
what's tell us about what's going on with that bike so the e-bikes um pretty far along as well and uh if i'm totally honest we're just waiting on parts um so basically the e-bike is is pretty much ready to go waiting on some parts um we're going to do a limited launch uh run of those as well where we're doing uh 100 bikes and the e-bike uh, working with jimmy we've set it up so that uh there's basically a short travel version and a long travel version. The short travel version is 150 mils of rear travel and the long travel version is 175 um, rear travel. And so we will have the bikes configured um, in those two travel options. And now that doesn't limit you if you bought one of them to only run it in that setting. So, you know, like um, I think it just gives people the flexibility of, of uh, depending on where they live to be able to purchase a bike that makes sense for where they live and if they move or if they start riding different terrain you know they have the ability to to change it up and they don't they're not sort of forced to go and buy another bike um which i which i thought was nice so uh yeah so those will also be limited to like 50 of each travel version as like a kind of like a limited launch edition of of those and they'll be available at, um Right now, we're on schedule to have the assembly factory assembling them in Taiwan in uh, December. So it'll probably be late, later in December or early January. Not super far out on that either. And for the conversion between the two different travel modes, what do you actually need to swap out or change around to make that swap? So the eye-to-eye of the shock stays the sh- same. And then there's a, a flip chip and a, a short a little uh, uh, stroke adjust. So, and the kind of the nice thing that we've found with that as well is if you don't do the stroke adjust and you just do the uh, the flip chip, you, you kind of stumble upon these other travel settings. Um, so those two numbers that I mentioned are kind of the extremes. But if you, you know, like a, we're using a 230 eye-to-eye shock and as everyone probably knows, they come in a bunch of different stroke heads. So it's like 57.5, 60, 62.5, and 65. So, you know, you've got a whole host of little options there. Um, so if you took the long travel full stroke version, 175 miles, uh, 65 more stroke, and you ran that flip chip in the shorter travel setting, I believe it drops to around 165, Jimmy, or maybe like slightly less. That, that's that's about what it is. Yeah, I mean... I'd, I'd have to do the math again to like get the exact number, but it's, it's, that's the ballpark. Yeah. So there, so there's kind of some fun stuff to play with, um, there as well. And actually my current, uh, the e-bike that I'm running, I run with a 174 can like a, it's probably about 163 or four travel somewhere around there. And that's kind of the setup that I'm, that I'm partial to. Right on. And then for sort of the kind of more general details, like we said, still VPP, production bikes are going to be carbon, I assume. Any kind of other little bits and pieces like that? What about wheel size? Um, So wheel size is a nice question. Um, The way we did it is on the small sizes, we're doing a mixed wheel bike because we just felt like that puts the rider in the right position on the bike and, and gives the right balance. You know, I've got some friends who have always you know, felt a little hard done by um, when they're buying sort of like smaller or medium bikes and, and they get stuck with the same chain stays as everyone else. And so I know that that's changing in the industry, which is great to see. And I know there's a lot more um, 
focus on that, which is awesome. Um, and so the way we did it was like uh, the smaller sizes have the 27.5 rear end, slightly shorter change days. I think it's about 443. Um, oh, and then um, the large, uh, the sort of trail bike configuration comes as a 29er. Um, and the uh, long travel version comes as a mixed wheel. And then the XL is, is 29, you know. But then the nice thing is we, uh, the link stays the same across all of these. And we actually did two rear triangle molds. And so if somebody bought an XL but desperately felt like they wanted a mixed wheel bike, um, we'd be willing to sell them a rear triangle and they can just pop that on, you know, change their wheel and, and have a, a mixed wheel version of that bike. We'll just offer it in the configuration that we feel works best for the size, you know. So, and then um, trying to think of some other things. So it's a, it's got like a seven fifty watt battery, so um, pretty big battery. Uh, I know uh, Bosch is now also offering a five hundred and a six twenty five, and so we're actually working on some little spaces that would be attached to a five hundred or a six twenty five battery, so that it can fit in the same cavity. So basically you'd be able to, you know, take your 750 battery out and bomb a 500 in if, if you had that as your second battery or you just wanted your bike to be a little bit lighter and you were doing, you know, like a shorter ride. Um, the battery uh, slides into the downtube from underneath. Um, so we don't have, uh, Bosch has a new thing called a rail system and it basically slides in on this rail and then clips in. Um, we put the... The key up screen uh, is sort of like sunk into the top tube on the bike. We left a one and a half inch straight steer, steerer on that bike as well um, for some flexibility like we spoke about on the downhill bike. Um, trying to think of the things. Uh, there is a really nice uh, addition coming from Bosch as well, which I, I know I can talk about because I think this was announced recently, but they have something called a system controller. And so we'll have a system controller which sits underneath the top tube and that's how you'll be able to turn the bike on and off. And then uh, they have a little remote that is called a mini remote. And that will be the sort of three button remote, um, nice small uh, ergonomic remote that sits on your handlebars. And that connects to the system controller via Bluetooth. So you don't have that pesky little cable that everybody's always hated with the e-bikes, you know. Um, and if that battery goes flat in that remote, you still have the system controller, which will allow you to change modes and turn the bike on and off and do what you need to do to get out of there. So that preserves that. That's a pretty good rundown. How about the name Crestline Bikes? Where did that come from? Um, so obviously I spent a bunch of time in California and then um, my business partner, Mark, is also from there. And we did a ton of shuttling um, in an area called Crestline. <laughs> And uh, I know a lot of people know the trail that we used to ride. Um, I, you know, it's, it's it's always been a spot where uh, people have come out to during winters when they haven't been able to ride and they come to California and that's that's like one of the kind of prime Daniel's shuttling spots. So it just felt it just felt right, you know, and it's, um, we like the name and so so we jumped on it, yeah. I was pretty sure that was going to be the answer. I lived down there for a bit and so have spent a bunch of time out there. And yeah, it's a good time. So yeah, sounds like just 
a lot of good stuff happening over there and uh, things are coming together impressively quickly. It's been cool just to get sort of a bit more behind the scenes of how launching a new bike brand in a couple of models comes together and uh, appreciate you two both taking the time to talk about it. But uh, one last thing before we go, I suppose, show is called Bikes and Big Ideas after all. And we do tend to wrap these up by asking the guests if they've got a random big idea to share. Anything that's been kicking around in your brains, bike related or otherwise, serious or silly, anything to throw out at us here? So I have a big idea, which is probably not the biggest idea anymore because I've seen guys starting to do it. But I had this big idea a while ago and I'm kind of bummed that I didn't tell everyone that I had this big idea. <laughs> but... Um, I think the next bike that we work on um, will be a s- sort of a small motor, uh, small battery offering. And we're going to, uh, I'm, g- I'm going to obviously work with Jimmy and see if we can get this downhill platform onto that bike because we've been pretty, you know, impressed with the way that works. And then my big idea was always to be able to remove the battery. But not only remove the battery and then kind of like, you know, feel like you have this this bike that you can now pedal around, but I want to remove the motor as well. And then I want to create um, a, a piece that bolts into the, the brackets that the motor bolts into that just has a bottom bracket on it. So you truly have a 100% regular bike. You know, there's no extra weight there's no you know it's literally like you you know you you have a bottom bracket in there and 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 so i feel like that you know like traveling with e-bikes is not the most um pleasant experience and so i feel like that would really eliminate uh, an issue for people wanting to go to bike parks and things and obviously it would be a it would be a bike that's designed for that kind of riding and then to be able to you know pop the battery out slips out of the down tube Remove the motor, it's six bolts, and there's two cables that plug into the motor. I forgot to mention on the new Bosch system, there is no um, sensor cable that runs to the back of the bike. There's now a, a magnet that fits around your valve stem, and the motor picks up the magnet on your valve stem. So, you know, they've eliminated that cable as well, which is nice. So it's literally two cables that you pull out of the motor, and one is a very small cable, one's a pretty big cable. You can't mix them up. It's very simple. You know, so it would be very easy for someone who wasn't even very experienced with working on bikes to basically remove that motor, pull those two cables out and pop uh, a bottom bracket in, you know. So that's my big idea. That's pretty good. Jimmy, you got anything? I, well, so it, there's there's one that has been on my mind a lot lately, although I, I think I shouldn't necessarily divulge too many details on it. Um, <laughs> Fair enough. So... It's just, it's brake related. I'll say that. Um, I mean, beyond that with, with bikes as a whole, I just, you know, I, I like seeing all of this kind of modularity. Um, you know, and I, I, I think the more and more of that, that, that we can get the better, you know, whether it's like, I, I think having more travel, like related flip chips, as opposed to like high and, and low flip chips, um, is, is a pretty nice thing. Um, you know, to be perfectly honest, three millimeters in bottom bracket height isn't going to slap you in the face. Uh, you can change tires and have a bigger difference in bottom bracket height than that. 
Um, but like, you know, if you can flip a little chip and, you know, get a slightly different leverage curve or, you know, 15 millimeters of travel or something, that's like, you definitely do notice that change in, in how a bike rides. Um, you know, stuff, stuff like that's really fun to, to play with. And I, I think, you know, not, not the type of thing that you just get used to after three rides, you know, or, or whatever. Um, yeah. And then, you know, just kind of the continued refinement of, uh, of all things high pivot or mid high pivot, um, will, will be interesting. Um, you know, cause like I was saying before with the balance point, it, you, if you push the pivot too high, you, you can get some really strange ride characteristics as you go through travel and, you know, that finding a, a happy medium. For sure. Um, certainly have experienced that on a few high pivot bikes myself. And, uh, I think you're right on there just that there's some cool stuff happening with kind of figuring out and refining higher mid high pivots and adding adaptability to bikes. It was sort of like the bike world spent the previous bunch of years kind of getting geometry worked out and everything got longer and lower and slacker. And we've feels like we've sort of settled down on that a little bit and, Things like increased adaptability, options for different wheel sizes, travel adjust flip chips, high pivots are kind of the new frontier of things that the bike world is experimenting with. And there's some pretty neat stuff happening there. So it's cool to see that pushing forward and looking forward to seeing what comes next from all of it. I think honestly, just uh, your comment triggered something uh, as far as e-bikes go. I feel like the sizing on e-bikes is going to be something interesting to watch as well because they obviously ride differently to regular bikes and you have totally different weight distribution because of where the parts are in the bike and the extra parts on the bike and you know being like 6'3 I've always uh, especially when I started riding they weren't they weren't the kind of reach numbers that they are now and so I always felt a little bit uh, cramped on a bike and that was always a, a challenge for me finding a bike that f- felt like it fitted properly. Um, but after spending a bunch of time on e-bikes, uh, I have found that I'm I'm actually fairly comfortable on something that is well, technically is like a little bit small for me. You know, I just don't feel the same lack of traction on the front wheel as I used to feel on a regular bike. And I don't know if that's a factor of um, you know slightly longer chain stays. Uh, or the extra weight from the bike, you know, I think it's like all of those little things. So I think it's going to be pretty interesting to watch that side of things develop as well. You know, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely like this constant progression to find a good balance. You know, I don't think there's a silver bullet for anything. Like Jimmy was saying with this mid high pivot thing, it's like you go one way and you get all these benefits, but with those benefits come some some pitfalls. And so it's about finding that perfect balance of getting the gain, but not getting, you know, the negative aspect of it and just finding that sort of like happy uh, middle ground. So I think that's that's the challenge is, is, is trying to, you know, get that really perfect little balance, you know. Yeah, just continuous refinement with new things and it'll be cool to see where that goes. And looking forward to seeing what you guys come up with on that front too. So 
This has been super fun. Appreciate you taking the time and sharing some great insights with us. I'll let you both get back to it, but thanks again for coming on. It's been great. Yeah, thank you. Thanks very much for having us, David. Appreciate it. All right, that's it for this edition of Bikes and Big Ideas. And as always, just want to say thanks to Troyden and Jimmy for the conversation. Thanks to Taylor Ahern for producing the episode. And thanks to you for listening. From all of us at Blister, please take good care of yourself and everybody else. And we'll talk to you again next week. Bye, everybody.